Has God called you to radical discipleship? Or has God called you to church attendance? Has God called you to be somebody who is just simply a church attender? Who's, who's looking to just better your life? Or has God called you to radical change that, that alters every aspect of your life when it comes to money, sex, and power? Has God called you to radical discipleship or has God called you to this assimilation with our world that just says, I just want to get by and I just want to get more and I just I want to use uh, the people around me to get what I need. I want to condemn people who believe differently than I do. Has God called you to that? Has God called us to be people who are this enclave that is just separated from the world. We live in a Christian bubble, and we, we essentially don't engage with anybody. Has God really called us to that? Has, has God called us to those things? And, and I want to assert to you today that God has, that God has not called you to this. God has not called you to just assimilation with our world. God has not called you to separate yourself and be in a Christian bubble. But God has called you to radical discipleship. And if you don't get that, if you don't understand that, if the posture of your heart, if what you claim to believe does not affect the way that you live, if what you claim to believe does not somehow work its way into your wallet and into your sex life and into the way that you treat other people and the way that you use power, if that's not true of you, then I have to tell you, and I don't know that you're going to hear this at any other church this week in Salem, Oregon, but I'm just, I just have to tell you that I question whether you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that you should too. Because, because here's the problem, is that our world looks at us and they say, what is the deal with these people, their political beliefs, the way that they act, how they treat other people, how they're not helping the poor, how they're not helping the marginalized, how they're not helping the oppressed or the immigrant, and they say, I want none of it. And yet, when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, and you go, <laughs> look at Jesus, and then when you look at, at, at God throughout the Old Testament, and how he works with his people, and what he tells his people, and what he wants from them, it's a different story than the way that Christians are perceived to be. It's a different story. And so my, my question to us today is, are we about radical discipleship, or are we about ourselves? Because you can be in it for yourself in two different ways. You can say, I'm going to separate myself from all of those rotten sinners, or you can say, you know what, I'm just going to assimilate with them and just get whatever I can and have this Christian label. And both of those are wrong, and both of those are hypocrisy, but radical discipleship is what Jesus wants from you. 
Radical discipleship is what Jesus wants from you. Over the last, last week, I talked about uh, loving Jesus. We have a phrase, we want to love Jesus and live outward. It's just very simple. And what it essentially means this is that our relationship with God has got to come first and foremost. I've got to love Jesus. Why do we say Jesus as one aspect of the Trinity who is God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because we want to delineate between all other gods, all other, all other so-called paths to God. We're talking about this Jesus from the New Testament and, and the God that he is. We're talking about him, and yes, he extends into the Old Testament and forevermore. This, that's the God that we are talking about. And so we're talking about loving Jesus, and what I said this last week was this, is that People who love Jesus are people who are willing to give up the precious in order to truly take hold of the invaluable. And I, 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 I've got to tell you that we oftentimes, in fact, most of the time, we don't get it. Because what becomes precious is money, sex, and power. And what's invaluable, which is Jesus gets lost in the shuffle. And so instead of taking Jesus as the invaluable thing that could ever be, we take in his place money. It says in Ephesians, it says this, for he himself is our peace. Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in this. What's he saying? He's saying, I will sustain you. I am the thing that you must feed on. I am the thing that's got to be the central focus of your life. I have to be the thing. You cannot worship God and money. You cannot worship sex and money. You cannot worship power and money. And worship power and Jesus. I totally messed that up. You heard it too, and you were like, man, he was on such a great roll you can't worship God and money. You cannot worship God and sex. You cannot worship God and power. That's what I meant to say. We'll cut this out of the podcast, right? You can't do both. And many of us have no idea how we're worshiping those things. I want to tell you right now, Christian people, as sure as you sit here today, there is idolatry in your life in some respect or another. There is idolatry in your life. That idolatry uh, comes in, in the form of, you can identify it through what makes you extremely happy or what makes you extremely depressed. Like what am I depressed about and, or, or what, I, what am I extremely joyful about? When are times that I feel like I want to be at church and what are times when I, when I don't feel like I need it at all? When are the times when I feel like I want to engage with God and when are the times that I don't? These things are indicators to say this, to say your idol failed you and so you're sad and now you want to turn to Jesus. Or your idol is serving you well, got a lot of money coming in, making dollar bills, y'all, you got a, got a sweet girlfriend, wife, whatever, trophy wife, whatever you want to call it, right? And so life is going good. And so what happens is this, is that you turn away. But those are indications that you have another object of worship in your life. And so what we say is this, 
we want to give up the precious in order to take hold of the invaluable. The process of the Christian life is letting go of these things that my worldly mind says are the most valuable things. The, the process of the Christian life is letting go of the money, sex, and power and seeing how when I worship those things, my life falls apart. My life falls apart. You may do well for a while. Yet things may be okay, but eventually it falls apart. Life falls apart after a while. When these things become your object of worship, when you hang on to these precious things instead of the invaluable that is Jesus, and some of you have never heard this, and some of you have never really experienced it, and you've tried to figure out, okay, what does it mean to be a radical disciple? And a radical disciple is continually applying Jesus to their life. They're continually saying that the story about Jesus going to the cross and giving all so that I can have everything speaks into the moment-by-moment transactions of my life. And when I don't get that and when I miss that, what happens is this, is that we end up being people who live in a Christian bubble or we assimilate with our world. And God has another way. God has another way for you, and it is radical discipleship. So we want to love Jesus, but we also want to live outward because of this. God has not called you to what Tim Keller calls tribalism, the Christian bubble. God has not called you to sit by yourself. God has not called you to only hang out with a bunch of people from outward. We do everything in our power to keep you from doing that. That's why we don't have like a soccer club, a basketball club, or what, what, what are affinity groups. That's, that's why we don't have things like that because we're not creating church-based functions because here's the thing. God has called you to be in the world. God has called you to be a part of your society. God has called you to be for the city. And so what this means is that you've got to come to your world and you've got to say, what can I bring to my world? Because God hasn't just saved you some, uh, or from something, but God has saved you to something. Years ago, when I believed that God was calling me to start a church, it, the book of Ephesians like wrecked my life. It wrecked my life. Because of this, I had never really fully studied something. And so I began studying uh, the scriptures, specifically in Ephesians. And, and I, the reason why I love Ephesians is because it's short. And then on top of that, what, what I also love is that it's very succinct. It gives us key pointers to who God is and how we should respond. But one of the most simple statements that we often like to use out of the book of Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 10. And what it says is this. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. Now just stop right there for a second. A very simple statement about the gospel 
a, a very simple statement about our need and God's payment for us. Our need is very much rooted in this reality that when I, I, as an individual, as soon as I'm born, as soon as I am conceived, David says, surely I was conceived in sin in Psalm 51. What that means is that when I come forth out of the womb, I'm already tainted by sin. It doesn't mean that I'm ripping people off and stabbing people and whatever the case may be. That's hard to do as an infant. But what it does mean is that I have that propensity in my life. I have the seeds of sin rooted in my life because of my first parents, Adam and Eve. That sin is in my life. But then what happens is this, is that I'm dead. I have no life in me. But Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. What this is saying is it's saying that I can't do anything on my own to get into God's good graces. I cannot cause myself to be loved by God. I cannot cause anything. I can't do enough good works. I can't do enough anything. It 100% completely has to be the will of God that I am his. You say, well, how do I choose him? Well, God causes me to be willing to choose him. And so salvation is all of grace. What this does for us is this, is it brings about a great humility, which says, I wasn't good enough to get into God's good graces. God was good enough to let me into his good graces. Does that mean that, that, that I can walk around prideful? No. What that means is this, is that I get to walk around in humility, so I can't come to my world and point my finger at other people and say, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. What I can come and say is this, is that the things that are going on in your life, the way that our world is set up, the, the ways that we think things should go are not the way that God had intended them. God loves you immensely, and he wants you to walk with him. God loves you immensely, and he wants you to live life according to his word. Because life was designed to work that way. Life was designed to work that way. And so I can come to my world in humility and say, I am a sinner saved by grace and God has been incredibly gracious to me. And we bring that humility to our world. But this is oftentimes where we all stop. It's just I'm saved by grace. And we miss what God has called us to. We miss what God has really called us to. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of what you do, so that no one may boast. For, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now this is the peace that we miss. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. Like, this is the love that we have for Jesus. Like, Jesus did this for me. This is what he's done. So I've been saved from sin, but I haven't just been saved from sin. I've been saved for something. I haven't just been saved to just sit in my Christian bubble and I haven't been saved to just assimilate with the world, but God has called me to something else. God has said, now that I have saved you, I want you to be somebody who lives life outwardly. 
You're not in your bubble. You're not just doing your own thing. You're not just playing on Christian softball teams. You're not just hanging out with Christian people, but you are somebody who is a part of our world, and you bring the truth of the gospel into everyday life. There's a gospel fluency about you, which says this, like, I can let go of, uh, of these finances and worrying about those things because Jesus gave all for me so that I can have everything, and so I can give all for him so that I can give everything to my world. I can live my life in this way. How does this help you? How does this help in your life? Let me tell you. The pain the suffering, the depression, the things that are going on in our life and in our world, we believe this, that the gospel solves them all. It may not solve it this moment. It may be when Jesus returns, but the gospel solves every single one of them. The gospel is the healing that our city needs. Not just in like the, telling people about the grace of Jesus, but it's in the good works that we do in our city. It's how we serve our city. It's, it's what we do for our city. It's how we love people. It's how we do not operate like hypocrites. And then we acknowledge even our hypocrisies. And we say, this is who I am. I'm faulty. I'm not right. This is what it looks like. God's called us to radical discipleship, to live outward. And I want to tell you something, that I see some incredible signs of that at our church. I see some incredible signs of it. I am so pumped, you guys, about what God is doing in and through you. I am so pumped about it. Because I see God working in your life, and I see God working in our church, and I see God working in you. I see God working in through your finances as you're generous with other people. I see God working through your sex lives. Not up close and personal, but uh, <laughs> that might have sounded creepy, but uh, <laughs> I had every intent of that sounding pastoral, okay? So... Uh, <laughs> uh, I see God working through how you use power. Less creepy, right? I see God doing amazing things, and every year it just, it just gets better. It just gets better. And right now, uh, in just a second, I want to show you uh, the results a little bit of what that looks like in our city. This, this uh, last Thanksgiving, as, as we do every year, uh, we provided Thanksgiving meals to uh, a number of people uh, throughout our city. We got our, our city involved. We got people who don't go to our church involved. We had so many people who were involved in this, and I just want to show you a tidbit of this and then talk about what it's going to take to, to uh, continue that. Let's take a look at that.
I'm, uh, I'm totally excited about uh, how that went. Wasn't that awesome? Like, can we just, yay, yay Jesus, yeah. I, I just, I, I gotta tell you, like, there was, uh, we didn't put this on, um, on our, our sheet here, but I think we raised $14,000 for that. I think that's the most money we've ever raised. We had a little bit left. We were able to help a gal who uh, didn't have a, a place to live for uh, a few days through uh, getting, getting her a transitional housing kind of through a hotel and, and so forth. So we were able to help with that. Uh, that represents a, a thousand eighty people that we served that day. A thousand people were served because of your generosity and because you are people that God has uh, broken the chains of money uh, in your life. Like that, that cost money. It cost time. It was incredible. And we had a lot of great uh, sponsors throughout the city. Like this was a phenomenal deal uh, to bring them uh, in, to be a part of this. And so, and they were excited to do so, many of those various partners that you saw there. So we're excited about what God is doing. We're excited about how you've been a part of these things. But what we want to talk about today is what it looks like to be people who are continuing in this, because what I see is this. I see great things that have taken place, but what's the next step for Outward Church? What do we see for Outward Church coming up this year? Well, I would say this. As Outward Church grows and as we multiply and as, and as our community groups grow and, and things of this nature, there's two main things that we need. We need uh, more leaders. Uh, we need more leaders. We need more people who are able and willing to step up. And we want to send you through a brief process of leadership training. But then the second thing that we want to do is uh, we want to enable and empower our disciples to go even further with what they're doing, to give more, to serve more, to take people alongside of them and say, I want to walk you through the basics of the Christian faith. I want to walk you through what it looks like to be a Christian, not to beat you down into submission, but to say this, that the best way is Jesus' way. The best way is God's way, because when you live your life according to what God has planned, what takes place is complete freedom in life to serve uh, Jesus and to uh, love others. And so uh, Matthew 28, uh, verse 16, if you want to turn there with me real quick. A common passage uh, that, that is used as we're talking about the mission that God has for us. And so I want to communicate this with you. Matthew 28, verse 16, says this. This is uh, right before Jesus' ascension, before he ascends to heaven. He's gone to the cross. He's buried. He's risen again. And then he uh, comes back, hangs out with his disciples and other people. And then he's just about to ascend to heaven. And so this is what uh, is happening here in chapter 28, verse 16 of Matthew. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I think that's always an interesting statement, that some of these people are still just like, man, is this really happening right now? Am I really seeing this Jesus? And yet it's okay. Some people doubted. Why would, why would the New Testament talk about the disciples? Yeah, but you're seeing this guy raised from the, from the dead 
Why would the New Testament tell us that? Because it's true. Side note. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus says this, that here are your mar marching orders. Here's what's to happen. Here's what's, uh, what needs to take place next. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now stop right there. It, that word go really could say, as you go, make disciples. As you are going, as you are walking through life, as you're engaging with other people, as you go, therefore, uh, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the, of the Holy Spirit. We did that last week. We baptized some people uh, right here. And so that was an incredible thing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, what, what Jesus just said there is this. is like, number one, here's where I want you to go. The entire planet. Like, just go, just go there. Just go to the entire planet, uh, and, and I want you to communicate who I am. I want you to go to the entire planet. I want you to baptize them in the, the Trinitarian name of God, the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But then secondly, he says this, I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded. So what you have is this, is you have people who are disciples. What's a disciple? It's somebody who's been walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus, and they're hanging out with Jesus. And so they're walking and talking and spending time with Jesus, and then Jesus says this, I want you to go more, make more of people like you. And so how do we know when we actually have people that are walking with Jesus? How do we know when we are actual disciples, radical disciples of Jesus Christ? Well, it says right here, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So what's he saying here? It's an oxymoron to say, I'm a disobedient disciple. That, just, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's disobedience that runs through our lives. Yeah, there's things that we have to repent for, but that is part of the obedience. Here's the thing, that too many of us somehow believe that we're disciples and yet we're not walking with Jesus, we're not obeying, and we're not teaching others to obey. What's next for Outward Church? It is this. Disciples who are making disciples and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. And I don't know whether you have understood this before. Because the line between radical discipleship and just simply church attendance Radical discipleship and uh, isolationism or radical discipleship and just assimilation with our world. The line between those two things is obedience. 
And so when we say this, we want to create disciples here at Outward Church. What we're actually saying is we want to see people who are fully committed to obeying God in all things. We are people who are committed to giving up the precious money, sex, and power in order to take hold of the invaluable Jesus. We've given those things up, and we are giving them up as we go. And we are teaching others to come alongside of us and to, and, and to do that with us. And so the question comes, okay, what kind of program are we going to put together so that our church is, that, so that we are disciples and we're making disciples? And the answer is this, is that discipleship is not a program to be started, but becoming a radical disciple for Jesus Christ is a life to be lived on mission. That's what discipleship is. When Jesus sends the 72 out, when he sends these disciples out, there isn't some rigorous training program other than life with Jesus. It's life with Jesus. It's spending time with him and, and hearing him and talking to him. It's spending life with Jesus. And Jesus sends them out. And he says, I want you to go two by two, and I want you to go through here, and I want you to go tell people that the kingdom of God is here. I want you to go tell them about the truth. I want you to go show them this. And so many of us miss a couple of things. So many of us miss like that really the first steps into real radical discipleship is my obedience to God. It's just flat out being obedient to God, especially when it comes to money, sex, and power. It means you're not taking advantage of people. It means you're not taking what is not yours. It means this, that you're not abusing the people around you. So many of us are not walking in obedience to God in these areas. And so our Christian witness is shot, and we do not look like radical disciples for Jesus. But we look like people who are just like every other church attender out there. He's got a sign, Westboro Baptist Church, God hates fags. Yep, I've seen you before. And you know what? We deserve it. We deserve it because we have not followed Jesus. We have not followed his plan. And so what does it look like to be people who are walking with Jesus in these ways? I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah uh, chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29 is a passage that is speaking to God's people. It is the prophet Jeremiah, and he's speaking to God's people, and he's essentially going to tell them just a couple of things. They are in captivity. They've been taken by Babylon. Uh, they've been taken, and they are uh, forced to assimilate with this society. And so Babylon's ideology is essentially this. We don't just kill them and wipe them out. We don't just enslave them and, and try to make them service, but we assimilate them. 
We take the best of their people back to our city, and we force them to be in these various jobs, and we allow them to be uh, fruitful and to multiply and so forth. And so there's some people who are saying, you know what, just hang on. These false prophets are speaking, and they're saying, just hang on. It'll just be a short amount of time later. We just, let's just kind of get off into our, our God bubble over here, and let's stay away from everybody. But then there's the other people who didn't really even want to leave Babylon anymore because they had fully assimilated with the culture, with all of their gods, with the way that they used money, sex, and power. And so Isaiah, I'm sorry, uh, Jeremiah is saying something that is just mind-blowing. And it is for us, too. He says this, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. What's he saying? He's saying, you're going to be here a while. It's going to be a little while. Plant a garden. Eat that produce. Uh, build this house. Verse 6, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives, wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. He's saying this. He's saying, don't just kind of isolate yourself, but get in the middle, build a house, plant a garden, uh, marry, uh, increase in number, and I want you to become something of God in this city. He says, verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now let's just put that in context today. Many of you are happy about the election and the results that, that happened. I don't know how many of you, I don't want to hear it. Uh, um, we're going to make outward grade again, all right? Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, I digress. Uh, <laughs> so many of you are happy with that, but then there's a lot of you who are sad. You're worried. You're worried about these things. Look at what it says. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. See, some of us don't realize that we are actually in exile. We don't realize that we are actually in this sort of captivity. And we just enjoy this life as though this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to presidential elections. And so I'm, we're, we're enjoying this because th those those liberals are going to get what's coming to them. And then some of us are, are just saying, I'm just going to hunker down, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm just going to have to deal with this right now. But what this is saying is this, is that this is not isolationism, and this is not assimilation. It's not loving everything and, and every detail of what our society do, does, and it's not hating every, everything that it does, but it's saying, I want you to seek the welfare of even that wicked city that you're a part of. I want you to seek the welfare, and I want you to pray for it. And so some of us today need to hear this. 
that I don't care how much you hate who got elected, that you should seek the welfare of this city and you should pray for even somebody who you think is X, Y, and Z. Not because of any other reason. I'm not coming from a liberal perspective or a conservative perspective. I'm coming from the scriptures and I'm saying, you should be praying for our leaders and for our cities and we should be people who are pro-city. Does that mean we have things we disagree with? Oh, yeah. How do we speak about those things? Lovingly. Lovingly. We lovingly speak about things. I'm going to grab something here that I left over here. Over the next few weeks, one of the ways that we want to love our city is we don't believe that babies should be killed in the mother's womb. We don't believe that. If you can be prosecuted for killing a mother and her baby as having killed two people, then that person in that mom's stomach matters. We believe that. And so what we're doing is we're doing a fundraiser uh, for Hope Pregnancy Clinic. And the reason why we're doing this is because we're not here to shout down an abortionist. We're here to love them, to tell them about the grace of Jesus Christ, but we're here to love on our city. We're here to love on people. We're here to, to help people. We want to care about the young lady who's looking towards abortion and saying this, saying, God loves you. God loves you. God forgives, yes, even abortion. God loves you immensely. Some of you in this room have been involved in this, and there's, there's guilt and there's shame, and you're sensing that right now. The grace of Jesus comes to you. And he forgives you, yes, even that. But one of the ways that we serve our city, because we don't want women to experience this, is that we can help with a fundraiser. And so we have these little baby bottles, and we want to ask you to grab them and take them out with you uh, to your homes, get your kids involved, empty piggy banks, whatever it is, fill these up with change, and then bring them back before, I believe it's February 26th. That's right. And so that's a way that we can help with Hope Pregnancy Clinic. That's a way that we serve our city. It's, it's just a small way that we can support these kinds of things. We can serve our city by doing more than just THX, which is our Thanksgiving event, on one day. And so what are we doing right now? But we are disciples who are seeking for the welfare of our city. And so we go into the neighborhood there at Richmond Elementary and we serve that school because this is what God is already doing. God has those teachers in that part of the city, and they care about these kids, whether they're Christians or not. We get to love them, to serve them, and to serve these kids that, have, that are at high risk for getting involved in drugs and gangs and all kinds of things. And so we, we uh, bring uh, uh, lunches for the weekend for kids. I think I said last week it's about 3,000 meals that we served last year uh, to kids over the weekend. We have a soccer program that Blake, whom we just uh, hired, is going to be running. We need people who are going to be helping out with that. Why? Because we're radical disciples who are seeking the welfare of the city. We're radical disciples who are seeking the welfare of the city. We're praying to the Lord on its behalf. We're concerned about their plight. We're not just consumed with how much money I'm making, how much sex I'm having, how much power I have over people, 
but we are concerned about what God is concerned about by letting go of all the things that I think that I want and, and grasping hold of the invaluable that is Jesus, what I can say is this, is that I truly care about my city. And it takes radical discipleship. And by the way, there's something that comes to you, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So what are the things that we could support in our city? What are the things that we can support? We can support the marginalized, the oppressed, the immigrant, the widow, the orphan. I, I don't even have time to go through it. I mean, I, I just said so much scripture this morning to show you. I, I just wish I could read to you the first chapter of Isaiah. And, and, and let me just paraphrase for this, paraphrase for you. God comes to his people and he says this, I hate your church services. I hate it. I hate the fact that you're sacrificing these things, this Old Testament worship. You're coming into the temple. You're acting like you're a Christian. You're acting like you love God, and I hate it because of this, because you are not seeking justice for the oppressed, for the widow, or for the poor. Like You say that all of these things are true about you, and yet you are not taking care of the most vulnerable for us. That also means the unborn baby. For us, that means, yes, the immigrant. For us, that means the orphan, the foster kid. For us, that means that we take care of the single moms. How are we going to be about that? Is it going to be a program? No. It's going to be radical disciples who say, I love Jesus so much because he loved me first. He's not only saved me from sin, but he has saved me so that I can go and be an obedient disciple who serves my city so that I can go and that I can be on mission and be a part of this. And God is the one who's going to get the glory in the end. Imagine with me for just a second what it would be like when our city says, if Outward Church stopped doing the things that they're doing, if Outward Church was not involved, life would not be as good in our city because Outward Church cares about people. That is real religion. That is real stuff. That's life-changing that's the gospel moving on our hearts, bringing gospel influence and fluency into our city. Imagine what it would be like if every time someone came into our gatherings, if they uh, have made a decision for Jesus, if one of us grabbed them and said, come to my house for dinner, come to my place, come to be a, come to be a part of, of what, I, what, I'm, what I'm doing, come to my community group, how can I come and serve you, what do you need, how can I pray for you? You need to know about Jesus. Let's start walking through the book of John. You need to know about whatever. Let's, let's talk about it. You got questions? Let's do it. What if every one of us here who's a lover of God, what if every single one of us took that as our responsibility? That would be obedience to the Great Commission. 
Consider this your training. You are released to be disciples. Jesus has already said, go, therefore, and as you go, I want you to make disciples. So my question is, is that what you want? Or do you just want to attend church? It's okay. If you're like, I'm not sure where I'm at. That's okay. That's a great place for you to be. It's okay. But some of you know it's not good enough anymore. It's not good enough anymore. Let's rise up, church. Let's honor God with our lives. Let's obey him as disciples and bring change to our city. Let's live outward. Let's pray. So, Lord Jesus, we, we ask that you would be the dominant theme in our lives. That, Lord, um, that we as people would devote ourselves to living outwardly because of what you've done for us on the cross. That, Lord, we would devote ourselves to not being isolated or even just simply assimilating, but, Lord, that we would be people who are radical disciples for your name and for your glory. Lord, bring about that change in our lives, Lord. Empower us. Empower us to serve you. Lord, we need the power of your spirit to stir up our hearts. Lord, we see that in the Old Testament, how you, you came and, you, and you, you showed favor to this person or to that person. And because of your favor, that great things happened and you stirred up the hearts of all the people and they served and they worked hard and they accomplished something. Lord, would you stir up our hearts? God, would you cause us to be people who are empowered by your spirit that, Lord, we'd be people who are for our city, and, Lord, that we work to make it better. Not, not just because the city is better, but because that's a reflection of your glory. That's a reflection of your goodness. That's the grace that you bring on our city through your believers. Lord, may we be people who are passionate about this. Lord, may we join you on your mission that's already happening with hundreds of other churches in our city who love you and are serving you. Lord, may, may we join them even more. And we thank you for what you've done so far in, in our church. We thank you for how you've impassioned us for you. Lord, may you give us more. May we serve you better. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.